Hello and welcome to In Search of Tracks podcast, the podcast where everybody hurts sometimes. My name is Pete. My name is Bob. Pete, how are you, buddy? I'm good, dude. It's been a long day, but I'm ready to talk some music. Behind the mm. curtain, we haven't recorded in a while, so this is mm. kind of exciting. You know, back know, to it. I know, I know. We gotta. All right, let's um, let's let's get before we're done recording tonight. Let's get uh, pu- pulling back the curtain. Let's get a lunch or dinner on the calendar for next week. Let's do it. Okay, so take a look. We'll we'll, fi- we'll talk before we stop recording, um, but not while we're recording. Uh, so <laughs> um, I'm excited, Pete, because. I don't know how you feel about this band. I don't know how you feel about this record. Uh, one of the fun things I know you don't. I don't think you know how I feel about this band or this record. I don't. Um, and yeah, no. This is always one of those things. I, I uh, I've had a little bit of time as as you know, as many of the listeners uh, probably none of the listeners know. I, I moving into a new house, and that means there's a lot of work to be done. And as we were just discussing. There's a lot of labor to be done that's not necessarily skilled, but someone's got to do it. So that's my job. Um, so it's been headphones in. So I've had a lot of time to listen to podcasts, listen to music. And uh, and I'll tell you what, <clears throat> listening to this record and the other record, it gives me time to think about those thesis ideas that I, I put in. Um and I had a couple weird ones, and it, it really uh, recontextualized this record specifically for me. Uh, so I, I'm I'm excited to do it. Uh, I will also say that as I was uh, breaking down a very ugly bathroom vanity in our new house, this was not necessarily the like tone setter <laughs> record for that. But I, I laughed to myself as I was like breaking stuff and listening to rem automatic for the people i mean maybe it's good in a way it like keeps you you know those moments where something doesn't go quite right like the thing doesn't mm. break the way you want it to or something doesn't set the right way like yeah. you want to freak out you want to have some more aggressive music but maybe like they'll give you this sense of calm maybe i yeah. don't know it could yeah, be like a, a sweetness flowing kind of thing yeah um <laughs> yeah i i will say i i wish i had been listening to them when i had the large uh, equipment that i rented not not to remove the vanity uh that uh essentially just smashed on my finger i i got it in my the truck bed i'm kind of just like futzing around with it trying to make it fit better in the back of my truck and immediately whack my middle finger like on the nail in this like oh you just wedged your finger between the side of the truck bed and this 400 pound tool. Uh, I don't like that one. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. It's like got a big black mark on it and the whole thing now. So, uh, I was, uh, I was in a, uh, disturbed mode (laughs) as opposed to REM automatic for the people. So I should have, I should have channeled it a little bit. Um, so we'll do disturbed next time. Oh God. (laughs) Uh, at some point, maybe when we actually start our Patreon, we will. I will tell these stories of uh, what my son thinks of is my music versus what he thinks of as <laughs> uh, as my partner's music, Amanda's music, because uh, Disturbed came on. The I think I was using it for some silly like sound effect, and he was like, "Oh, is this a band my mom likes?" And I was like. <laughs> 
<laughs> dying laughing. So, um, hey, how are you? How's everything in your world? You break any fingers recently? Uh, no fingers. Um, I got a new pair of shoes that didn't fit to the point that my <sighs> my pinky toe has been black for like a month though. Mm. Dude, I wore it like one bad night, just like shoes that yeah. probably aren't meant for walking too far. I walked way too far in them and they just mm. didn't fit in this way that like, you know, I guess you got to... You got to test the shoes out before you do the long walks or you take them to the city with you or something. Dude, I, man, I, I fucked my foot up. So that it was fun. It could be bad for weeks if you do it. I, I had a pair of sneakers not long ago from a brand I typically buy, but I think they were just a little more narrow than I'm used to. And I had a similar thing. I had a weird thing on my, like, I guess, what is it a ring toe? Not my pinky, but the toe in from my pinky. I guess a okay. ring toe for yeah. like three months because I had worn them and I was wearing them. And I'm like, man, did I do something? I was like, oh, no, it's these stupid shoes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Welcome welcome to In Search of Tracks, <laughs> your foot hygiene and general uh, home remodeling podcast. Um, I guess we should talk about music, maybe. Yeah, let's talk about music. Pete, uh, the record we're doing today, REM, Automatic for the People. What is... Let's talk about this first. Why did we choose this record? So we chose it for a few reasons. We got some requests to do REM. um, Mm. And they're a band that just have so many records, I feel like we could have done, you know, so many records we could have done. And this one, I think it's just the the biggest one so we picked this one so a lot of requests for rem not necessarily a ton of requests for this record specifically because it was kind of all over the place in terms of which album uh people wanted but we kind of made the executive decision chose this one but then on top of that we've just gotten i did a poll a few weeks ago which if you don't follow us on social you should follow us on instagram Mm -hmm. and twitter at tracks pod yes but we did a poll asked you know what era of music do you want to hear more about and 90s was like the far and away winner so i guess you could consider rem like an 80s 90s band but they obviously like hit their stride in the 90s in terms of commercial success so i'm gonna call them a 90s for sure for sure i think that's fair i think that's really uh, fair yeah and that's it that's how we landed there and i also you know you mentioned before it just seemed like a fun one because i think you and i have never really talked all that much about REM. So I have no idea kind of what you think about all this. And that's sometimes some of the most fun episodes are where we, you know, don't quite know where we're each going to land. Yes, correct. Um, So let's dig in on that. I will say, I always like this. Yes or no answer. Are you an REM fan? That is a good positioning of it. Um, I'm going to say yes. I'm an easy yes. Yes. Okay. But <clears throat> there's part of me that also wants to be like, you know, I like almost all the early material that I've heard and spent time with, you know, the murmur, the all that stuff. I yep. think it's all good. But I don't find myself reaching for it when mm-hmm. I'm in the mood for that stuff, which has not been frequently. Um and then when it comes to this era, the like commercial success era, I definitely owned Automatic for the People on CD. I owned Monster on CD. Um, I'm, what was the other one? The other like... Out of Time? Mm, I don't Reckoning. know if I made it. 
No, I don't think I went that far. Um, okay. But did they have a weird live one? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, there's a part of me that when I, I listened to this record, I was like, wow, it's been so long since I actually heard this as an album listen, as opposed to just like, oh, the hits because they fall on an algorithm playlist or somehow I'm listening to terrestrial radio and it's playing or, or what have you, you know, or, or it comes on like it could be 25 years since I list, put on automatic for the people as an album. Yeah. And so yeah, that was an interesting that. experience. So yeah, go in. So I, I actually land, I guess in terms of REM, I land in a similar place as you where Mm. I, I didn't have this one as a kid, but I had monster when it came out, which I think was what, like 96, maybe 94. Um, Right in that range. I want to say, Oh uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it uh, it might've been, it might be earlier than we think. Like this was 92. It might be 94. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds Uh, right. (laughs) Let's see. Yeah. September 94. Yeah. Okay. Because by 96, I was listening to like H2O and Fury 5 or something. Yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> so uh, I had Monster. Even at the time, I really liked What's the Frequency, Kenneth, which is why I bought it. Yep. And I remember listening to the record and just like it wasn't one that got a lot of play for me. Just mm-hmm. like nothing about it really hit me or stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Then fast forward to college years. uh Going through the Amoeba Dollar Bin records, they had like every early REM record. So I picked up oh, yes. a bunch of them for very, very cheap and really liked Murmur, really liked Reckoning. Yep. Those were the two that kind of stuck with me. <clears throat> Not much else did. There were some songs on Document. Um, yeah, Document's got some tracks. For sure. Like they Document all Document is the other one I owned, which is the okay. weird one, you know, like, but it's just the one. It, it just was like a notable record cover. And I think it was a little it was the it was in green i knew i knew green too yeah like yeah like yeah these are the ones that were all easy to get yeah anyways yeah yeah so I picked all those up and kind of made my way through them i think murmur and reckoning stuck with me more than anything but bob i gotta say at this point because i like kind of binge and purge records fairly yeah. quickly yep i have probably bought and sold the same rem records like three or four times over because like a few years go by and i'll find murmur for like two bucks and i'll be like you know what i'm gonna give this another shot and it just like it always makes the cut pile and it's not because i don't like it i just never reach for it the the issue to me on that first you know the first five (laughs) rem albums is that There is catchiness, there is hooks, but it rarely digs its claws into me, you know? Yeah. Uh, even, you know, so for example, something like The Feelies, which was new to me, I go back to that record and like there's tracks on there that stick with me, the off Crazy Rhythm, yeah. um, and like get their hooks in you, you know? And... Uh, it's not, I'm not saying that art, like, like if you ask me, who do you like more, REM or the Feelies? It's REM. It's not even close. 
but it's just in the earlier material and and maybe that'll be addressed in a later episode we'll 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 actually go in on some of those records i kind of want to do a surface skim like what is the 80s era rem record you know like what's the best one um, yeah so maybe we do that but then when it comes to their like hey we're full on like a popular rock band we're we're the we're in the alternative buzz bin chart toppers category they have hits and i like the hits but this show's called in search of tracks are there other tracks besides the hits and that was one of the questions i came to with this record once i got through a couple times was like okay what are the songs that are that i'd recommend to someone off an rem record that aren't the songs that were played on the radio you know yeah yeah. Um and yeah, I, I actually think there's there's some tracks here. But I found this almost as much an interesting listen as I did a trackful album. Despite the fact that where I land on it was this was a cool listening experience. I actually really enjoyed it as an album listen the first two times. Yeah. And then the third time I started poking holes in it a bit fourth time i i found myself drifting but sure. uh but on a revisit you know when i was smashing holes in a vanity i was like all right wow okay how about this record? <laughs> so um not to spoil it uh i think there's a lot to chew on with this record and i <clears throat> i want to get more on your overall big big thoughts but a question for you when is the last time you had a conversation about rem other than us like doing it for this podcast that's something i wanted to touch on too it was i it was probably in college it was probably 15 years ago i have a friend uh andy we mutual friend who's yeah. an rem like big head big fan big big fan so we've talked about it but almost on the basis of like i think this is a band who's almost completely forgotten like has been completely not erased, but disremembered <laughs> from yeah. from history, and disremembered from like how big a thing they were in the nineties. Like this was so big, so big, so big, and and there's so many reasons for it. And some of them were things I thought about more and more as I listened to this record and tried to contextualize it and talk, think about what what it even all led to. Um, because it's it's a really fascinating band because they are alternative but they are not grunge right no not grunge they were formative college rock indie rock i would say um for sure especially in the u.s i think if somebody wanted to say if somebody wanted to say when it comes to indie rock of the 80s rem is the gold standard they're the the cup bearer whatever uh i'd be like yeah yeah. I, I could hear someone arguing otherwise, but it might be hard for me to dispute it if somebody else came in and said, no, 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 it's, it's REM. I'd go, mm, yeah, okay. You <laughs> yeah, know. that sounds right to me. Right. Um, and this was a band like, I was consciously aware of this band by 90. Like, I might have been aware of this band before I was aware of Nirvana. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's I, a similar time frame, you, you know. It's a similar mean? time frame, yeah. But but it's but they were a different leg. Um, but 
a band who was not grunge, but was certainly, you know, in the alternative bucket and 1000% benefited from the explosion of grunge. Um, because it made this band, like listening to this record, Pete, I want to ask you, um, could you describe this album as, I, I don't know if I'd even describe it as moody, but there is like this really different kind of tone to it. Like, does this strike you as top 40 material album tone? Not at all. If you, if I knew nothing about this band and you showed me this record, I would, I would not expect that they had ever played like stadiums. Right, 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 right. That, that's the big thing. And so that's kind of where I landed was I was like, Oh, this is one of the, like this, this record sold 18 million copies worldwide. That's giant. <laughs> that's so um, many albums. Huge, huge record, huge record. Um, so I, I think this is an interesting band for a billion reasons. This is probably peak of their powers. Like this is them as big as they, well, this is, you know what? This is them entering their peak, right? They go from automatic into monster. And then that's, that's like, I think that's probably commercially as big as it gets. But that last, the other record was bigger. Automatic. Yeah, I bigger. think, yeah, yeah. I think this one, is probably their best-selling album, right? It has to be, but like, I think so. But I, I do remember when Monster came out. It was that was kind of my intro. But I remember there being so many headlines and just like news items on MTV or whatever, just about like they're back with their new record. Everyone yep. was psyched. There was like a lot of energy around it. Yep. Yeah, like so, yeah. this is a this is a yeah top the charts like number one on Billboard top two hundred. You know, like just topped everything. Like just huge stuff. Um. So yeah, I, I have a couple theories here that I'd like to to bring in, but um why is this important, Pete? Why is this record important? I think it's important because it was so big at the time, and to your point earlier, it's it's like who is talking about it now and where did it go? Like what happens at a certain point with with these records that were so big? Um yeah, like, it kind of it, it gives you this insight into the '90s that, like, if you weren't around yes. for it, you might not never know. Yes, like, let me just be really like, I see here, etc. A lot more talk about something like Alice in Chains than I do REM. Yeah, no argument. There is no argument to be made. REM was way more popular than Alice in Chains, and way more relevant to any conversations about like what was going on in the nineties at large. Like I think if you name five bands with guitars from the nineties, REM has to be right there. They might not be in the top five, but they're definitely in the top 10. I mean, from the, from the U S what are the, yeah. Like what are they like, like, right. It's Nirvana. You throw Pearl jam in there. Um, I think REM has to be right there. Like, I, I mean, like, I'm yeah. at a loss. I'm trying to think of other, like, off the wall things. That I were mean, I'm just, th- I'm, th- I'm thinking of, like, just the biggest things. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. But I, REM like, was, f- I like, thought Green Day. Green thought- Day. Yep. There we go. Green Day. Uh, I just think they were in a weird way. Now, now I'll also say this by the mid 90s, 
it starts to tail off and they wind down, you know, like this is a band who I think they kept going for a minute into the early 2000s, but their popularity did wane in the late 90s. So, yeah. so that's understandable. It's understandable how these things go, but collective consciousness treats this band as a footnote in a weird way where it's like, no, like you couldn't turn on MTV without seeing losing my religion video, right? Like, there was so much REM uh, that was going on for a minute. I, I uh, yeah, it, it's it's it, and it's. I'm not trying to hi- create hyperbole around it, but the lack of any conversation is kind of crazy because they were really big. They were just a big rock band. I mean, part of it is maybe just the 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 cast of characters. Like Michael Stipe is not very public facing at this That's point. I feel exactly like right. I feel like he kind of disappeared. Peter Buck, I feel like makes appearances here and there, like working on other people's records or something, but he, like, they're not very, they're not out there. So Michael Stipe has essentially Seems pulled, intentional, very intentional has intentionally yeah. come back, pulled back from public spotlight. And then, um, the other guys have continued being involved in music but in the way where it's like, oh yeah, you can go to like this two hundred and fifty cap room and see, yeah. you know, Pete Buck, you know, like see his band, and they just are like, yeah, do they need the money? Hell no, they just were like, yeah, this is cool. Let's let's go do this. Yeah, cool. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, and in September two thousand twenty one, because they they disbanded in two thousand eleven. That was the last one. Uh, they, um. A full decade after disbanding, Stipe reiterated that the band had no intention of regrouping. We decided when we split up that that would just be really tacky and probably money-grabbing, which might be the impetus for a lot of bands to get back together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, all right, I'll take that. Um, I would have guessed that they broke up earlier. I thought 2011 seems recent to me. I know, and I want to say this. I don't say this in a... They weren't limping to the finish. They were still playing like big big shows yeah but they just had receded a bit you know what i mean like i think they still were putting out some records let me see when the last album they did yeah the last album they did so after automatic for the people monster new adventures in hi-fi i remember that i remember, I remember that too. i remember up but i can't tell you one thing about it i don't know anything about reveal Around the Sun, 2004, Accelerate, 2008, and Collapse into Now, 2011. So that's pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the last major tour they did was 2008. So, you know, uh, a band who I think is probably done. Like, I, if for some reason they get together, it's, it'll probably be an event. Um, Blah, 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 blah. All that said, this is this is an important and big album. Another broad question for you before we start ripping this whole thing apart. <clears throat> Was this album, did this album resemble what you thought it would sound like before you listened to it? No. I Same. expected more big rock parts and there was very little of that. Uh agree <laughs> agree but i found this record to be 
so big room in production and instrumentation. Yeah. And there's a part where I actually was noting, I was like, this whole thing feels so, what's over in that closet? Studio energy. Like, let's For try sure. this out, you know? And we and they had access and all the tools and uh, the old adage, uh, explore the studio space. A lot of that going on. A lot of that going on, and I think most of which, though, is pretty tastefully done. I mean, we'll get into it. We'll get into it, but like, but one of the things I thought when I first put it on was just like, all right, this is their eighth studio record, and they now have the budget to really do whatever they want and spend as much time as they want in the studio. But like, the production is—it's super slick. It's super like top forty production, Mm -hmm. but. It still sounds really good. Yep. For that flavor. And mm-hmm. like these dudes obviously know their way around the studio. They know like what's going to be too much and what kind of works. Yes. So, and there's a lot of tricks to that. So I'm excited to kind of pull that apart a little bit too when we go track by track. But there has to be like a 40 CD box set of like different mixes with like 20,000 oh. different instruments on top of every song on here. Oh my! I'm I'm sure of it because there was a lot of stuff going on on this record. Um, so I have two two theses that I'd like to make. Well, one well actually only one thesis, and then one question. So what do you want first, my thesis or the question? Let's go over the question. Is Michael Stipe a good singer? Capital S <laughs> singer. Um, because I think he's a unique vocalist yeah who can sing but has a very interesting um, style but is he tech, would we call him a good singer that's tough because honestly I think I think sometimes the, the vocals are a little bit of what takes me out of it at times mm-hmm but I think you're right. I mean, that's what that's. I was hesitating on what to say, but it it's, it really just is the uniqueness. Like I think that I can't yes. imagine an REM without Michael Stipe. Like he really made the band in a lot of respects in yes. terms of his the way that he sings, but also just his like his whole personality and his like stage presence. Well, and so, his vocals hold so much personality, and for he sure. lets it shine through. And there's a lot of that. There's inflection in it. There's a lot of that. And so, so let me answer this succinctly, so people don't think we're trying to like bash on Michael Stipe. <laughs> um, he is a an exceptional singer slash vocalist, uh, lowercase s, of the highest uh, type and quality. Is he a great singer? Capital S, like me, 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 kind of shit. No, not particularly. <laughs> And his voice has such a unique tone and style to it. And he does unique things that, yeah, it can be the thing that pushes people out. And that is one of the most unique parts that I think, I don't know, it, it, it makes this a, a unique voice for a band. It makes the band unique and stand out in a crowd. And it's something that was sort of trendsetting in this entire, like, indie rock, college rock, alternative space. Like, on technicality, I bet Chris Cornell technically is a better singer 
than like hits the notes than oh, sure. Michael Stipe. Yeah. But if you wanted to have a conversation about who who's better, who do you like more? I think that's a fun that would be a fun conversation for that, you know. But uh but it was something that's hit me as I was listening to it a, f- a few times in. I was like he does stuff that's both daring and risky. But also, I think he's like, I don't give a shit. I'll do. I'll talk. I'll do the fake Elvis voice in this song. Whatever, you know. Like, <laughs> like there's certain parts. There was one track. Gosh, is it? It might be on Sidewinder. Sleeps tonight. Uh, but no, it's somewhere in the first half of the record where he. It almost sounds like he's laughing and breathing in the track, and they're like, "No, keep that in." Yeah, he goes for it. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I I thought that was it's worth talking about because there's so many bands where a singer either is everything and pulls people in, or the singer is everything and somebody just can't get on board. And I th- I think that's the case here, for sure. Thesis. I've never thought about this. Uh, do you know how old Michael Stipe? W- well. His age when this record came out. This came out in 1992. I'm guessing third, just bordering late 20s, early 30s. 32 years old, born in 1960. Okay. Actually, a little older than I thought, but not much. When I listened to this and I was kind of trying to hear it and hear some of the, both tonally, stylistically, some lyrical content, this sounded like kids of the seventies coming to terms with being full on adults. Yeah, for sure. That was, I never, ever, ever positioned this record there before, but I heard it in some of the styles that they play with. And also that REM is a full on pop, a rock band, an alternative rock band, but also a pop band. Like they're Mm -hmm. popular music and they have those sensibilities, and they're kind of unafraid to do to play with that stuff, and um, and what that all means, and and that's what this record feels like to me is this idea, and and I started putting that into to space of thinking like people from that time frame, and like I liked REM. I was born in 1980, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> and I wasn't a child of the seventies at all, but I was like, Oh, okay. So Michael Stipe. Yeah. He was, he was a young kid in the sixties. I actually thought he was probably born a little later, but, but would have been like fully conscious in the seventies because by the eighties he's, you know, they're, they're college rocking by 83, 84, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you know, um, it's it's really fascinating and it's it's funny to think about that and think about what 90s the 90s were as this thing in place because there is a lot of that angstiness but i i think i'm going to reposition a lot of the alternative music of that time as this weird like capitulation to adulthood yeah. by a generation of kids who were kids of the 70s maybe they liked punk or weird music in the 80s and now it's the 90s and they're like oh shit i'm 30 (laughs) and i never thought of that before like like grunge isn't a bunch of snotty young kids running around making noise it's a lot of dudes in their late 20s and early 30s going oh shit yeah i'm doing music okay and and what that means and especially (laughs) as like you said this is their eighth studio album 
Yeah. Yeah. So so it's it's interesting. I thought it was it's interesting because there's a maturity to this record that shines through and you know, all that. I, I it's funny that you say all of that because I'm I totally agree, by the way, but I'm going through their Wikipedia and I just found this little passage. Um I'm gonna read this real quick. Mm. Peter Buck uh no sorry the album the the album dealt with the themes of loss and mourning inspired by quote that sense of turning 30 according to buck yeah that's cool (laughs) the the world that we'd been involved in had disappeared the world of husker do the replacements all that had gone we were just in a different place and that worked it's it's that worked its way out musically and lyrically Oh, that's cool. Yo, I love doing this spot stuff. on, Bob. I love spot it. on analysis. Yo, I love doing it in isolation. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> doing this. Not looking. Oh, that makes me feel so good. Um, <laughs> well, so yeah, I, I, I'm excited to talk about this record because um, as an album listen, Automatic for the People is totally. It's introspective. It's weird. It's consistent. I actually think it flows really well despite having these kind of oblong shapes in the mix too, like just weird stuff. Uh, But it's kind of part and parcel for the experience. I think of it in a way when I I think about 90s albums after listening to it. Mood-wise, it's similar to something like the the Cranberries. um, Is it Ode to My Family? Uh, or linger i can't remember what the, the album title is the first cranberries album but in this like this could it's soft but has some edges to it but mm-hmm. all kind of flows really well um but it, it's it's in a different space too and, and it feels it feels its maturity it feels very big room in production but i liked what you said in songs they keep it pretty simple and there's some songs and structures that are like, I, I, they could be templated for bands trying to do an indie or college rock thing. Despite the fact this is them well into their pop sensibility and like, Hey, yeah, there's, there's like symphonic elements on this record, you know, definitely. But by John Paul Jones, nonetheless, right i know i know that's so that's the funny that's also a fun part about this is that rem automatic for the people is what happens when a band of music nerds from the 80s uh, is given a bunch of money and all the all the resources are like yo let's let's get this let's do this all right cool you know yeah (laughs) um all right i mean uh, one last question okay what do you think is your favorite REM song? Do you have a favorite REM song? Was the Frequency Kenneth holds a really special place in my heart just because like I really liked that song when I was a kid. But I, I, I don't also, know if I could say it's also, my favorite. Also really like it. It's got such a it's got such it's a hook with a with a with that real nasty clip in it where yep. it gets in. If you pull that out, you're you're fucked. It's such a good song. Like it's great. Uh, um I found myself really in on Everybody Hurts in a way where it's like I had shelved that song for many, many, many years. Yeah. But I was reminded like, oh, I, I kind of loved this song when I was f- like an overdramatic 13-year-old. Um, for sure. 
Well, that was my other thesis, and, and we'll talk about it on the other record we discuss. Um, and I'm strategically, we I want to do this one first. I hope these come out in sequential weeks. Um, the '90s was so overly dramatic. <laughs> Bless up. I think I think there was there certainly was a lot of drama in the, the '80s, but some of it was muted, and some of it was kind of like. Uh, how do we put it? How do I put this? Uh, it was, it was muted in a way like it was. It was still attempting to be cool, and in the nineties, there was there was just like in the eighties, it was the kid at school who was going through stuff, but trying to be cool, but trying to keep their cool, and you could tell like something was going on. In the nineties, a lot of the popular rock music was the overly dramatic like theater club kid where it's yeah. like okay okay <laughs> i know you you crashed your bike on the way to school turn it down from 11 you scraped your knee it's okay that <laughs> but that I, I i had that feeling when i was you know everybody hurts i was like oh i do like this song oh god you know like uh, man <sighs> yeah no, it was a I weird time that. to I be mean, a teenager i'll tell you that i mean to be fair, like rem were kind of just very dramatic and as a band in general. And, that, and that's one of the things that like, I think not to get away from your question, but no. it's maybe one of the things that like maybe never tracks with me. Mm. It's just there, there, there doesn't seem to be like any hint of humor anywhere in this band. Most of the time well, it's like, I it's think so ecology and self-serious oh, in a way. It's very self-serious. Yes. Yeah. That's why the weird moments of humor and levity either hit, well, like uh, shiny happy people, um, end of the world as we know it, right? Like, uh, there's just like, but but like, man in the moon. When I referenced it once, I'm going to do it a second time, and it'll be three strikes, and I'm out because I will reference <laughs> it again. But when Stipe does the like, Elvis sweet baby, like <laughs> fucking Elvis voice thing, I'll tell you this: when I first heard that. I was like, yo, I don't know if I can like this band because it's so <laughs> it's so out of character for them. But but it, your point is exactly on. This is a very self serious band in some ways, so the humor and levity doesn't always hit. It it strikes kind of an odd chord where it's like, oh really? Huh? Weird. Um, but again, part of that part of that sense of seriousness, sense of drama leads to good music. Um, for and sure. I think, I think you feel that on a lot of this record. So let's, uh, you got any other big ideas? Anything else we should talk on before we track by track this bad boy? No, but I think my actual answer to your question is losing my religion. I think that might be my favorite REM go-to. That was my favorite REM song. That was, that was my favorite song full stop in like 1991 uh, or 92. It was, that was, that was early, wasn't it? Uh, that's 91. On, yeah. One out of the, before this. When it was new, that was, like I said, that was, um, I mean, I was like, <laughs> I was like a weird 10 year old, I guess, but I really love that song. <laughs> um, all right. Anyways, all right. Wrestling with God early on, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I, I was like losing my religion. I don't think I had one to begin with. What are yeah. we talking about here? <laughs> um, all right. I just like the, the weird video, I guess. Uh, good karaoke song. Oh my God. Yeah. R.E.M. feels like it'd be a good karaoke band. 
I think they are a good karaoke band. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, because the only problem is you get the drunk friend who wants to do End of the World. And yeah, just, you can't do that one. Yeah, you can't do it. No. Um, unless unless you are like yeah, unless you're unless you got the friend hyper who knows, REM fan, yeah, yeah, who knows every lyric and can really hit it. Yeah. yeah all right, uh, let's Nobody do it. REM automatic for the people, track by track. First song, drive. Hey, hey kid, shake the Maybe you're crazy in the head. So um, yeah, go ahead. this isn't this isn't the kickoff that I was expecting. Although I wasn't all that surprised, um, it's just it's 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 a really moody kind of yes, you know, very moody opener. Um, two minutes in, there's this big orchestral arrangement that John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin did. Yep, it's like it's my first impression was okay. This is going to be a big record, like mm-hmm. like like kind of more dramatic and bigger than I, I, I had even anticipated. But I got to say that one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is it just like reinforces the idea of like, don't judge things on the first time you hear them. Cause there might be something there for you. If you listen to it a few times Yep. and this record, I got to say the first time I ran through it, I was like, this is kind of just like this melodramatic, like sad, weird moody album i don't know if i like it all that much at all except Mm, for the hits yeah and then like maybe two or three probably the third time in i was like no i get it like i still don't love it and i don't see myself reaching for it honestly all that much moving Mm. forward but it's there's something here for sure like i get how millions of people worldwide are like (laughs) no this this is my fucking band you know for sure so i had this song is kind of this repetitious but like you said, it's a tone setter um, and it's cool. Uh, it is, as you said, the orchestral arrangement. It feels sort of statementy to put that in your opening track. Yeah. But at the same time, I was thinking about that and I was comparing it to, to analogs in the 90s, alternative, etc. world. I was like, yo, it feels it's big, but it's almost understated in that they didn't just like, Hey, here it is super up front in the mix. It's like, it is there, but I don't feel like I'm overwhelmed or overloaded when it kicks in. So, um, it's an odd opener, but I wasn't mad at it. And it definitely set the tone to be like, Oh, this isn't the record that I thought it was, which if you wanted my opinion, I thought it was the hits, one or two other like catchy, quick ones, and then some just kind of uh, shuffled around. This feels <laughs> like more of a full expression as an album. 
then even you know to be fair a lot of other 90s alternative records we've done so far there's more there's more of a like cohesive feel at least in my opinion to this record than than a lot of other stuff yeah no i'd agree and, with that. And, and to be honest records that i like more but you know that's okay sure yeah try not to breathe um i really like the production on this one it's got this nice sway to it i think mm. my and there's some interesting time changes like like they are great at using the studio. They are great at song craft, but in terms of this song, it like, I think had it been in a different place on the record, I would have liked it more. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, yeah, I don't first, disagree the, with that. <laughs> the first song is a statement and it's like, it's an opener. But mm-hmm. after that, you kind of need like a punch in the gut, particularly from a band who like has rock songs. So like, this just kind of sways in and like doesn't give you any energy that is different from the first song really. And it's just a little bit too low key of like a second song for me. And that takes some points away. Yeah. That being said, like again, hearing this song kind of in isolation or at a different point in the record, it's, it's fine. It's still not like the strongest REM song, but, but it's all right. Yeah, no, I, I think this is a good song open and flowy. Uh, what what was the term you used for it? This the back the back and forth kind of thing. The sway. The sway. You said the sway. I said there's some shanty elements to this. Yeah, definitely. So the to elements, and fro yeah. of the guitar um, took me out a little bit, but outside of that, it it's it starts to nudge at the fact that this record has these soft elements that eventually almost I mean airy almost hit atmospheric at points. So um, it's really interesting in the context of the record. So no, I I, I like it. Good song. Solid. Apparently this, one of the things I read was that when they were writing for this album, they did most of the writing without drums. Mm. Like, I think it was just them kind of, you know, they're, they're on their eighth record. They're like experimenting with how they're building songs. Yep. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. That makes all the sense because the drums are so minimal on this record. So it's not like, it's not that they didn't want them there. I think that they just felt that they were presenting the songs in this way that wasn't just like an obvious way for a rock band to build a song, you know, yeah, which is which is that. kind of interesting from that perspective. But yeah. I agree with that. I, and you know what? It's... The drums feel understated on this record overall. Yeah. I'm thinking about that. Not that they're marginalized, but they're minimized, kind of. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. The Sidewinder sleeps tonight. I said this is a soft bopper. I actually thought this was one of the better tracks uh, outside of the hits. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's cool. It has a little bit of a drive to it. I mm-hmm. think this would have served as a better second song just to like give it Agree. a little energy. Agree. Um, oh, yo, I, you know what? We might be honing in on a, f- uh, a formula thing is that if you don't have that energy pop by track two, you better have a consistent idea going because you don't pick up the energy enough. For sure. That's important, I think. Um, this one, what else? It's well layered. I mean, I I don't know. I like the chorus just fine. It's it's fine. It's a good song overall. Yeah, I like that. I like the energy pickup. All right, everybody hurts. 
song that made all these guys multimillionaires yeah um no i mean it's a great song i don't like i i really can't even say much bad about it we talked about how it's a little melodramatic but i also think that like sometimes they do that and it really works and this is one of those moments um although like it's funny listening to it now for me because like you said this was you could not avoid this when it came out so now that i really only hear it like on the radio here and there but i feel like if i don't you hear rem think, on the radio yeah, yeah you don't hear this one i don't hear this much. one yeah yeah so like now hearing it i was like oh this is like a like a 90s alt rendition of like the staple singers or something like it has this real like gospel mm-hmm. feel to it oh i think there's elements to this record where they pull in thoughts of that um which is really kind of interesting. And I think they're pulling on these weird, I don't know if they're Southern roots. Um, sure. Yeah. But, but there's a lot of different influences being pulled into the bucket, um, which I want to say this. A lot of times it feels very subtle. And that is cool because it makes this feel more cohesive as a record. Uh, I I do really love this song, and and it was one of those ones. It was just omnipresent. Even though you like it, if it just gets played and played and played, you gotta you gotta shelve it a little bit. Yeah, uh, revisiting it for this this uh, episode, it was nice because there are those dramatic moments vocally where Stipe is doing stuff that I don't know. I just think not many people could have pulled off. There's there's a vulnerability to his vocals on yep. a track like this that really helps, and I mean that's why it it, it works on. I mean, losing Re- my religion and everybody hurts are almost like uh, like a side b sides. Yep. Where where it's like this is the different side of the coin. Uh, this is you know you could put these two songs together and they're really really dark heavy songs, but also don't work if someone with with a maybe technically better but but less personality in their voice is is singing it but uh you feel this song when when with my like you feel it you believe it and that's kind of cool so yeah no he was like built to sing this song that warble in his voice and just yeah the whole presentation is great like yeah it's 100 all right uh new orleans instrumental it's it's an interlude it's it's fine pleasant yeah there's a cool vibe. I actually like how it kind of breaks things mm-hmm. up. Um, uh, and, yeah. and like to be honest, uh, doesn't feel bloated. 
or weird or like unnecessary yeah. on this record. You know, so. that's hard to do for stuff like that. And I, I also just think it fits really well. Like everybody hurts is so it's so much, yes. Which I think, which I think is why, like, as a hit, because it was as big as it got, you were like, dude, all right, fucking enough. I don't need to hear this song for a while, you know. Um, so having the uh, instrumental after that, I think, breaks it up nicely. Oh, you gives know you what? a little reprieve. That has that feels intentional. I didn't think yeah. about it until you said it. That feels intentional because it's like it's so heavy. You got to give a you got to give a space to it. Yeah, good point. Sweetness follows. This is the one that to me almost gets atmospheric. Um, really funny instrumentation. All like just like again like what do we got? You got what do you? Let me try that out. Let's put that on the song. Um, and the production feels as big of a room as an atmospheric drifty song can. <laughs> yeah. Um, total slow burn. I, I really like how it, like, I think these guys, a lot of the time on this record and maybe in general, I don't know their catalog well enough, but it seems like these songs could go, they tend to write songs a minute longer than they could have been. Yep. And it really works for them. I think on this song, I don't like love this song, but at the same time, I like the experimentation of it and I like how it kind of builds into this like sonic youthy like guitar noise chaos yeah bit. Mm. it's pretty cool it like and it also kind of i think there's something here for the older rem heads where there's like that that experimental noisy college rockness is like still very much alive in this song even if it's done in a really different way yes oh it's <sighs> Man, the REM head who is following the band to this point has to appreciate some of the experimentation. For sure. That's yeah. that's what's holding them in here is that they're still playing around with sounds and, and what, what they're doing, which is cool. That's cool. All right. Uh, Monty got a raw deal. Um, this is maybe my least favorite song on this record. Oh, if not, see. it's up there. It just, yeah. like, it just kind of plods along there's just like not much that's exciting about yeah. the song to me, honestly. Um, there's some odd twangs in this one um, in terms of the, the guitar. But yeah, largely neutral on, on this one. Yeah. Ignore land.
it, it almost has this A's movie music open, like yeah, weird sure. kind of sweeping. <laughs> uh, again, a lot of instrumentation. Uh, we get some wild ass Michael Stipe scat vocals about halfway through <laughs> and i actually like it i think it pulls it in for me and it pulled the song into me and i was like all right all right i like this one all right i'm here dude yeah i think it was third listen i was like you know what no this song fucking rules actually i like i didn't <laughs> like it at first then i was like nah man I, th- I think the the only part i don't like is the the yeah 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 agree agree I, yeah. I i could totally do without those but otherwise it's like it's also just like they're ready for the stadium with this song. Yeah. This is a big song. Yeah. This is, yeah, it's a weird one. I'm actually, I never looked at this. Um, lyrical content is explicit, explicitly political, referring to the conditions of the United States during presidencies of Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and George H.W. Bush. Damn, that's old. Uh, <laughs> he's rolling against, railing against Republican politics. Opening line is these bastards stole all the power from the victims of the U.S. of the us versus them years, uh, wrecking all things virtuous and true. And the last verse is really great. I know that this is vitriol, no solution, spleen venting, but I feel better having screamed, don't you? It's really great. (laughs) And he's like, you need headphones to get all the words, but they're understandable, said Peter Buck. Michael's (laughs) singing through an amp on that. He wanted to get that cold anger in his voice that you get with natural distortion. And the song is written in Neil Young's tuning. That's so amazing. Not that he owns uh, it, but the E's are tuned down to D like in Cinnamon Girl. I admit it. He's the one I learned that tuning from. That's fascinating. That's an interesting, like, weird pull. And I would not have gotten that. That's no, kind of cool. That is cool. All right. Uh, Star Me Kitten. For, now for something completely different. Yeah, right. So this is the one uh, that put me in a 70s uh, state of mind. Because it okay. feels uh, Burt Bacharach, like 70s lounge played by an alternative band in 1992. That sounds right. Yeah. I still don't know if I like it at all. I'm, I'm Again, this is more interesting than good, in my opinion, on this track. I agree with that. I, I, I wrote that it works in the context of the record, but yes. I'd never like pick this song out of the lineup. Correct. Correct. It, well put. Well put. The other hit, and this song, if I, I feel like this is the one that gets that you get to hear on the radio if 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 REM is playing. This is one of the ones you'd hear. Man on the Moon. It's a great song. I think. I, yeah. I think it's one of the better REM songs when it comes on the radio. I'm in. Um, yep. It's a great catchy song. It's got a great bridge. The production is mm-hmm. perfect. I think overall, it's just like a plus REM song. Very good R.E.M. song. Uh, not my favorite because I like them being moodier. But again, and this is the, is Michael Stipe a great singer? He's a great singer because I can't, he, the way he holds that chorus, it's so tuneful and weird. That, like, can you, can you imagine any other singer, you know, quote unquote peer pulling that off? Like, no, I don't think yeah. so. He's it's such a unique framing and his cadence to it. It really works. So uh, outside of the Elvis riff, I'm all in on it. I think it's a good song. <laughs> I have heard it too many times, but I hadn't for a long time. So it's a good song. This, it's like a simple melody too. It's just do 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 
you know, like it's it's just good. This is a dumb question because I don't know the lyrics all that well in this song. Mm. This is about Andy Kaufman or was it like repurposed for that movie? Um, I think it has a reference to Andy Kaufman. Okay. I don't know that it was about Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Here you go. I there, there We were right. Michael Stipe explained in an interview with Charlie Rose how the lyric was written independently of the music, which had no prior association with the song's eventual lyrical content regarding Kaufman. So, okay. So yeah, like it references him, but it wasn't like supposed to be all about him, you know? Got it. So, yeah. It works. It works. It works. Uh, night, night swimming. Night swimming. Um, <sighs> what's the, who's the comedian? Uh, Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah, you might be a redneck, Jeff. Uh, I don't remember that I bit. Think, oh yeah. Oh, it, it it was like his whole bit. I don't know. I don't it, even know his bits. Okay. okay. I guess. Oh, he I was know the terrible. Name. Okay, he was terrible. But let's. Okay. <laughs> let's, this is the difference in our age. Um, you might be. Yeah. Okay. His. He had an album, but it was like his main riff for the first part of his career. Where, yeah, if you search Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck. Um, there's things like 30 of the best Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck jokes. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, in the spirit of that, if Night Swimming is your favorite REM song, you might be a Ben Folds 5 fan. <laughs> Uh, this is like the best possible version of something like Ben Folds 5. I don't need this. Interesting. Yeah. I landed in such a different place on this it. one. Oh, you're all in on this. Huh? I might be a Ben Folds 5 fan. Yeah, you should. They have a song or two. Fuck. Yeah, you, I think you're a Ben Folds 5 guy now. I guess I am. Shit. I couldn't tell you a Ben Folds song, by the way. Oh, but you, you, um, you, There's one that we could... Let's see. Let's see. Uh, what, is the, what is their hit? Brick. You're a brick and I'm drowning slowly. They have one other hit. I'll have to check it out. You got to. It's going on the playlist. Yeah. Especially because I like night swimming. Yeah. So this was like the sleeper hit for me, dude. Wow. This song came on and I was like, oh, good song. This is going on the playlist. It's like, it's like, I just think it's a pretty song. I I love the piano on it. It reminds me of almost of like, like, some of those great Springsteen moments where he breaks it down, like in jungle land or something. Mm, okay. Um, I was in, I don't know. I just think it's a great song. And then I looked it up and I was like, Oh, this was a single. And like, this is a song that they like became really popular for them. Cause I've never heard this song. Yeah. So. I am not. Look, I'm going to say this. I don't think it's terrible. I don't need it. Um, yeah, I think it's, it does have some of those elements that you're discussing. I think it's a. I actually like it in the flow of this record, but I actually I think it would have if you flip Monty got if you you could omit Monty got a broad, broad deal. I think if you move this as the open to side B, or like dead middle of the record, I might find more appetite for it. But as it is on the it's it's like on the exit of the record, it doesn't grab me. Sure. Because we're almost, we've been sitting on the record for too long now. And I'm like, wait, there's no energy. On, you're, you're following up Man on the Moon with Night Swing? Ooh. No, I get that. Yeah. So, find the river. Nothing is going my way. 
Venice and rivers go Need to leave the water knows We're closer now than life used to go I have got to find the river Um, this is kind of a, a, the, the ending of this record just kind of falls flat. I like Night Swimming. I feel like you could have ended with Night Swimming. Um, oh, okay. but, but Find the River, it's like, Find it's a rivers. nice enough song, yep. but it just doesn't hit me at all. Water. I don't know. Totally neutral. Um, I, the yeah. beginning sounds like an 8-bit Zelda song, like not a MIDI <laughs> file, but like what they'd write for like, okay, that you're an elf and you're walking through the forest and it's like a sunny day. And that's what the beginning of find the river sounds like. You have to find the river. <laughs> um, otherwise it's a simple song. It's, it's nice, but not taking me anywhere. Yeah. Um, and that's the continuation from that night swing into that. Just not the strongest end. I think you could rearrange this. I think in my like uh, hard cutting of this record, I say, look, Monty got a raw deal. It's fine. Let's make it a, a deep cut that people have to find. Um, let's move Night Swing into that spot. Let's uh, let's have Man in the Moon move up and put Starmy Kitten as the closer. So it's like 90s style weird song closer. So you yep. don't have to like like Starmy Kitten, but it also is just like, oh, this is weird. Okay, sure. And <laughs> yeah, I'm with that. You'd save yourself about five minutes off this 48-minute runtime, which by 1992 standards... Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, uh, would you like to, to do some, some ratings of this Let's rate this, this bad boy. Length. Uh, no, wait. No, I'm doing the wrong one. Uh, holistic. I'm, I went backwards. Jesus, I went on to a real old one. Um, holistic quality. Somebody asks you, is this good? Out of 20, what do you give this? I landed on a 13, um, right. which is maybe a little high for me, honestly. But for some reason, I feel warmly towards REM, and I'm, I'm being nice about it. Me too. I gave it a 14, and I didn't think I was being overly generous. But when I think about my overall feelings, I'm like, yeah. But I also think this record as a whole, as an album, I was pleasantly surprised by. Even though when I tear it apart, I'm like, eh, this song, eh, this song, you know. But yeah, highs out of 10. How high were the highs? How good were the best parts of this record? Best parts of this record for me land at about a 7. <laughs> we're, we're, in, we're in lockstep. I'm at an 8. How about the lows? How bad were the worst parts of this record? It's not that bad. It's yep. just kind of it's not like I'll say that none of this is like bad. It's just it's it's on a scale of like great song to just like boring. Mm -hmm. So I gave it a three. Oh, you that's pretty low though. 
boring is like not good though yeah, when there's a lot you're of right. it you're right and it just like there was enough just kind there's of like meandering that, you? that okay yeah it just it kind of bummed me out all right well once again this is the weird part i'm at a four because i didn't <laughs> i felt similar but not right there did you do you got you looking at my computer what the hell's going on here um <laughs> competency peer review out of 10 how does this compare both on a quantitative and qualitative uh comparison to themselves the records around it the time frame etc i mean this is one that maybe i'm being too generous but i actually gave it an eight because i think that they're really singular they are and like (laughs) so good at what they do but and i don't really know who the peers are like they're kind of just doing something that was all their own in a way yeah you know they get they're boxed into like quote-unquote alternative but like if i'm going to compare rem to a band i i think i might prefer comparing them to sonic youth than like Candlebox or something you know what i mean right, yeah, right? exactly like what are we doing um i gave it a seven out of ten uh yo, just because you know. by the way real quick i'm sorry sorry i just cut you off no i don't care i, I, I was in atlantic city this past weekend and the hotel that I stayed at Candlebox and Bush had played there the night prior. Oh, and there were all these me. people with Bush and Candlebox shirts on. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I wish I had known that. I would have, I would have gone to that show just for like amazing. a lark. That's so funny. I feel um, like the spot is pretty small too. So I don't know. Maybe next time they come through. <laughs> yeah, seriously. We'll do a live, we'll do a live tracks pod from, uh, from the Candlebox show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a bigger green room than Candlebox. Um, sure. All right. Drag factor out of 10. Um, Pete, I give this a six out of 10. I didn't think it dragged, but didn't not drag either. Um, it didn't drag to me. It was an overall flow, but there were a couple moments where it fell long. I fell in the same place. I give it a six. Cause yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the draggy, it's the draggy parts. Yep. Um, which some of that out. feels very intentional, by the way. Like they're they're they 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 write they write chunky songs. Like there's no song on this record that's below three minutes. Uh yep. f- yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh yep. Not a one. Well the the instrumental, I'm not counting that. Flow, I gave this an eight out of ten. I think that the song to song flows pretty darn well. And it feels like a consistent idea, even if at some points that bottoms out in some repetition and, and dragging a little bit. Yeah. I uh, gave it a six. Cool. Aesthetic, the look and feel of this record. Pete, for an iconic looking record, mm-hmm. it just it's like an iconic cover. I gave it a five. It doesn't really do anything for me, despite the fact that I inherently associate it with the band. Like if I look at it, I know exactly what it is. But just a five doesn't doesn't really move me. Listeners, I promise that Bob and I do not share this stuff prior really to the don't. episode. <laughs> we really don't. It's always a fun surprise, but yeah. I gave it a five too. Okay, good. Um, impact and influence. Then, now, in the future, I, you know, wh- what do you think? It's a tough one. This was really tough. I I landed at like a seven, which I felt was just a, same. A, God just, damn it! Just, it's like a fair, just in between, because like the influence, like we talked about, is just it's certainly not there anymore. Yeah. The impact is definitely not there anymore. 
but like at the time they were the biggest band of all time so yeah, like they, they were very big what the very fuck, big very know? big so i'm sure that there are a lot of people that picked up guitars and drums and started playing music as a result of these guys and i'm sure that all kinds of bands took studio cues from them and were trying different things the way that rem would but like where that influence is now like is probably just like buried in years of like indie rock bands at this point you right, know like, right. I, don't, I don't layers know. and layers upon layers it's it's weird. yeah um it came out the exact same for the same reason like if i'm being honest how many bands have i heard say were influenced by rem not many but i also haven't done a bunch of you know like indie mag reading kind of stuff right, yeah. i'm sure there are but how many do i hear that sound like it just a handful just a handful yeah uh, and finally, the intangible, etc. Like, I also feel warmly towards REM. I gave this a six overall. I, I think this is a. I like REM. I think they're great. I I think they're fun and smart, and I think this is a cool record. Um, but there's a few things that pull it back, and you know, it's 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 a an overall cool record from a band who I would tell you I'm a fan of. Same thing, same reasons. I like, I, I really feel, I feel warmly towards REM, but like my interest in their music isn't as warm, I guess, for the most part. I, I it's so funny because I think we ended up very close to where we started this episode where we like REM, we like them conceptually maybe more than we actually do like them, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's. It's a continued process. That's what Trackspot is all about, man. I came out at 65 overall. What are you, like 61? I'm a 61. Yeah. There we go. Hey, everybody, follow us on all that stuff. Send us emails to trackspot at gmail.com. Five star ratings. We love you. We love you. Goodbye. Replaced by every day. Night swimming, remembering that night. September's coming soon. I'm pining for the moon. And what if there were two side by side in orbit around the fairest sun? The bright tide ever drawn. Not describe night swimming. You, I thought I knew you. You, I cannot judge. You, I thought you knew me. This one laughing quietly underneath my breath. Night swimming.